0: Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 133, Episode 2 of Dirt I Dice, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers oh. and fuck Fox News. It's Tuesday, oh. May 12th, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. He's Jack and he's always down to host a party with his kids and clowns. They say, Jack, can you watch Goofy now? He says, I guess, but inside he dies. The Zeitgang says, Jack, hey, you're a fine dad. What a good uncle you could be. And your jokes. Can steal attention from this disease That is courtesy of Ben Bainey And I'm thrilled to be joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray
1: Cause it's COVID-19 Diddy's in quarantine And we're yearning for those hugs There's no hugging thing sucks Mm, Billy Ocean Caribbean Queen That is way back uh, If you want to know how old I am Thank you to Bundesliga Social Media Intern on 16.5 uh, At Fresh Frankie for that Billy Ocean inspired AK Thank you so much Love
0: me some Billy Ocean Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled to be joined By my other co-host Jamie Lopper
2: Isaac used to work in the club Go became one, now he sat on his couch, he's high. So high Jamie works the podcast all day. Zoom in, little Zen, she brings home hot takes for Zai. Oh for Zai She says sonny stay home or you'll get caught. It doesn't make a difference if you're red-pilled or not. You've got the virus, now here's a mask and gloves. I'll give you your shots.
1: I think we all had to do that guitar.
0: (laughs) That is the most powerful uh, a song has ever been in my head after one
1: of these AKAs. I don't know if
0: I want to compliment you or tell you to go fuck yourself. My
1: heart rate is skyrocketing according uh, to my uh, biometric meter. (laughs)
2: That's from at @abstrusel or uh, username official dickhead. Really, really powerful stuff from official, <laughs> official <laughs> dickhead. Brought, official, official dickhead brought, dick, brought the heat today.
0: I've been watching official dickhead uh, develop his, aka, voice on Twitter. It's good to <laughs> see him finally make the big leagues. Uh, <laughs> you love to see it. You love to see it. <laughs> We're thrilled to be joined in our fourth seat. By the talented Kate Hagan.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I didn't know I was going to get serenaded first thing. Very exciting.
1: Always. Always. It's our favorite thing Uh, you're doing. They say, Kate, now you sing. Go.
3: I'm not going <laughs> to sing. If, okay. any, if you've seen Aww, me do karaoke, dude. you don't want to see me sing. It's not a pretty picture. <laughs> do you like karaoke, though? I do, because... That's all ca- that matters. Karaoke is all about attitude, not ability. Yeah, um, Yeah, and it's a great time, and it's very freeing to be like, here's the thing I can't do, and I'm doing it.
1: I mean, I think you just saw between Jack and I that was clearly about attitude and not ability. Jamie has ability. We're attitude. We're attitude singers. Jamie, <laughs> yeah. abil- able singer, <laughs> An has actually done the national thing. anthem at a sporting event. That's mm-hmm. the mark I use. Uh, but. What do you sing when you go to karaoke? I'm always that's how you learn about somebody.
3: Yeah, it's um I sing all sorts of stuff. I would say my sort of uh, staples are I like doing addicted to love. I like doing mm. criminal, um, I like doing nine to Ooh. five, which is a really wow. hard song to sing. Wow. Yeah. Um I don't like classics. I keep- yeah, it's a good time. I can't do any of the like, you know, songs that require actual chops. Like, I love Patsy Cline. I cannot sing a Patsy Cline song karaoke. <laughs> I don't want to dishonor yeah. her memory. I yeah.
1: mean, yeah, "Criminal" is all attitude. I got goosebumps yeah. just hearing. I'm like, whoa, I've Uh-oh. been a bad, wait, bad girl.
3: It, it's big Scorpio <laughs> energy. You got to
2: support Fiona. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There. It, what is everyone? What is everyone's go-to karaoke?
1: Montel, Montel, this is how we do it.
2: Oh, okay. That's right.
1: Yeah. The first song, I always warm up my voice to that. I let people know, look, this is what you can expect from me. Just some <laughs> good Torch songs. r from the bring 90s. to the table. Yeah. This and is I, how, I'll how. I'll add. Do, doom, 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 I've boom, never gone karaoke da, 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 singing na, in my na,
0: entire na. life. What? I've never yeah. been karaoke singing. This is what I no. do. Yeah. Jack, you
2: got to do oh, Invisible no. by Clay Aiken. <laughs>
0: Invisible by Clay Aiken? I don't even know. I don't say, That's the best
2: if one. I <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's in your range. You could do it.
1: Uh, oh my god.
0: Jack, a lot. that is
1: I can't believe I'm just learning this about you that you had never been to like any kind of you you've it's my been greatest carry- shame. Nobody's oh, ever asked. Goodness.
0: But you're
2: so ready. You do it every I day.
1: Know. Yeah, I know. Huh? Well, huh. I guess Jamie. I guess we got. I guess we got a little project. Post I guess we got a short, got some a short film script on our hands. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a thesis project to me.
0: Kate, uh, we're gonna get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're gonna tell our listeners a couple of the things that we're talking about today. Uh, we, I think, are in the dance portion of the hammer and the dance, which is how somebody described the process of dealing with COVID. You do the full countrywide ban, and then there's like the, should we come out? Should we not? Like, groundhog coming out of his uh, hole type thing that's going to last for a lot longer than the hammer portion, I think, unfortunately. Uh, so we're trying to figure out what we're doing, uh, and fortunately we have our dumbest person in charge of making the ultimate decision. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about that professor's post on Medium that was getting passed around a lot. The risks and uh, how to avoid them, I think is what it was called. But it was basically just talking about how the disease actually functions, how it passes from one person to another. Uh, We're going to talk about Moody's, what they think is going to happen. We're going to talk about that Plandemic video, uh, which... Classic, instant classic. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about a last dance, all of that, and mm-hmm. plenty more. But first, Kate, we like to ask our guest what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are.
3: So, my current obsession during the quarantine is uh, defunct amusement park rides. Partially because, oh. yes, yeah, I f- are you a defunct landhead? I am a defunct landhead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my god, yeah. this is great. Yeah, I, I, it's funny, I'm kind of a scaredy cat when it comes to actual theme parks, like I can't really do roller coasters and stuff. So I really enjoy watching like ride throughs on YouTube of rides I will never be brave enough to ride. But I also love looking up stuff that doesn't exist anymore. And the one I found recently that I am fucking obsessed with is the Great Gremlins Adventure. Which was a ride in Australia and Germany in the '90s, where like it was a dark ride, why where you ride through on a cart and like see the Gremlins like recreate scenes through movie history uh, with all these great animatronic Gremlins, <laughs> and it doesn't exist anymore. And I'm pretty heartbroken about it, honestly. I would give what? anything
2: to go on there. There was ride.
1: a first of all, I also yelped because. Last week, we were talking about a guy who had trespassed in Orlando to camp on, like, Treasure Island or whatever island that it was in, like, a defunct Disney uh, attraction, and then I started going down a rabbit hole on YouTube of just watching kids trespass all over Orlando, like, closed parts of Epcot and shit, <laughs> and I was getting the biggest kick out of it, but now to hear this... See, I was just more, I think, just watching. I was, like, loving watching kids get chased by security guards and, like, getting <laughs> evading them. <laughs> but the gr- gremlins, wait, it was only in Australia and Germany? Like, yeah. At what place? How come we didn't, how how did we not know the magic of this ride? Uh, yeah, what is
2: the logic behind those specific, lo- are those, like, gremlin, like, uh, do people especially love gremlins in Australia and Germany? <laughs>
3: Yeah, right. You're like, why was this not in Universal Studios here? I have to think it's probably due to the licensing and where they could get licensing for. And it's like, Mm. oh, it'll be cheaper to do it. Not in America. Um, (laughs) But I believe the Australian park was like a sort of Warner Brothers park, which is really intriguing to me. But I hope they did something with those Gremlins. I mean, you got you can look up ride throughs. It's incredible. It's like Gremlins doing Singing in the Rain. Like Gremlins doing a Western shootout. Oh, uh, what? It seems, it seems so unfair. We were deprived like, of this.
1: cute, cute Gremlins are pre or post water Gremlins.
3: Post water Gremlins. Both? But then Gizmo is in the ride, and then one of the rides had Alf, and one of the rides had Beetlejuice. I can't <laughs> remember which was which. Just like rocks. a dream. Yeah.
1: I love that. Just a, like a fever dream of a ride.
3: <laughs> totally. I had somebody, uh, when I po- I posted about it on Twitter, and somebody sent me a story that they were in Australia, and their little sister, uh, they had to stop the ride to pull the little sister off the ride because she was just having a meltdown about these gremlins. <laughs> <This is laughs> I feel like so I would greatness. maybe have a
0: meltdown <laughs> over those gremlins. That's sounds... What, like
1: they freak you out?
2: Yeah, gremlins aren't, aren't
1: cute. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Like, a good
2: day for Jack facts.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Gremlins Two was one of my favorite films.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. cinema.
1: The new batch,
0: <laughs> as we all know. The key and peel sketch on that is great. Uh, yeah. What is something that you think is underrated, Kate?
3: Um, I'm going to talk about a director that I kind of discovered this year, and I'm still working through her filmography, but it's funny to me during this quarantine time, everybody is talking about like comfort food movies, and especially Nancy Myers movies, Uh, but one of my big discoveries this year is a director named Joan Micklin Silver, who made some of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen. Um, uh, I would say the two best movies to start with her are a movie called Crossing Delancey, uh, which is just this really low-key romantic comedy from the 80s with Amy Irving. And she somehow makes Peter Riegert into like the sexiest man alive in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't ask me how. He plays a character named the Pickle Man. And by the end of the movie, you're like, where is my Pickle Man? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and she, but you know, the flip of that is she has another film called Chilly Scenes of Winter that is about kind of, you know, Uh, a hapless 20 something who falls in love with a married woman and things do not go well uh, and that's with John Hurt and Mary Beth Hurt and it's from the 70s but she's really awesome. She made movies all throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, some stuff that, you know, on its face looks like dog comedies like Loverboy with Patrick Dempsey. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, this is a movie about how women's sexual desires are uh, not prioritized and how their emotional lives are not uh, shown on screen. So she's really dope. She's still alive. Uh, if you can seek out any of her movies, I highly recommend it during quarantine. Um, she's dope.
0: Wow. Loverboy, nice. I didn't realize Loverboy was that uh, deep. I I've like seen ver- various moments of Loverboy, but that that's the pizza delivery one, right? Where like yeah, he, yeah.
3: I guess it's based on a true story of of a guy in Beverly Hills who was, like, delivering pizzas to rich ladies and was sleeping with them. But it starts off in that sort of, like, 80s raunchy mode. And then, like, by the middle of the movie, you have all the women he's visiting giving these, like, tearful monologues about how nobody, like pays attention to them and they're just like yeah. trapped in Whoa. these mansions and you're like okay what movie am I watching um <laughs> but she's uh I don't know her movies all kind of do that you think you're getting one thing and then by the end you're like this is very different than I thought it was gonna be um oh, Carrie like Fisher
0: is yeah. isn't it Christy Alley you
1: Kate think this Jackson? studio ever had notes or like after these women I don't know like when they say these long-winded things can Patrick just be like? Hey, so we are gonna fuck or what or something? Kind of lighten it after that. I don't know what's going on here.
3: It is funny because his... in, in the movie you have those scenes, and then it's like back to the pizza parlor where Vincent <laughs> ensue.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> I that realizing that he that Patrick Dempsey was in in eighties rom com makes me realize I have no idea how old Patrick Dempsey is. <laughs> right. I thought he must be very well, like well preserved, because I <laughs> wouldn't have guessed.
0: Yeah, I think he was like a teenager at that point. Like was the point, he? Oh, right? Okay. He was a lover boy, not a lover man. Uh, but <laughs> the, not too late for a reboot. The one thing I remember that <laughs> from that is <laughs> lover man. It's just about a guy who has lover sex. Lover man.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is about a guy who fucks.
0: <laughs> the one thing I remember is that uh, extra anchovies was the order, right, that they used to signal that he was, because they knew it was, like, so gross that nobody else would order that. Anyways, totally. little lover boy What a for, time. What a time to be alive, <laughs> the 80s.
3: You love to hear uh, it. <laughs>
0: fun fact, Jack always orders extra anchovies. <laughs> and that is anyway. where my order comes from, yeah. <laughs> uh, just hoping that maybe this will come back in fashion. Uh what is something you think is overrated?
3: I'm going to drop a hot one today, and Uh-oh. it's honestly, it's just because it's the first thing to, that sprang to mind, and that is ranch dressing. I don't <gasps> understand ranch dressing as a concept. Yes. I find it repulsive. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why people eat it on a variety of things that are not salad. I can maybe understand French fries, but like ranch dressing on pizza or a cheeseburger, go to jail. Um, Absolutely. I, you know, as a boring white person who loves mayonnaise, I'm like why would you not just eat mayonnaise instead? <laughs> mayonnaise you get the tang and it's a better texture. I don't know. That's my hot take for the day.
1: Wow. wow. Cuz I, I hear the argument that people go, ranch goes a step beyond mayonnaise, man. And I'm like yeah. I I for I love it as a fried dipper. Uh yeah. don't really put an onion rings. It's mostly like a fried food dipper is how I get down with ranch. I'm definitely, I mean, we have guests like Blair Saki famously will just drink, I believe, ranch. bottles of ranch dressing no matter what.
3: That's um, what I'm talking about. I'm just like, what? It's not that good, guys. Like, what? Kate, I just think what, that one thing other...
0: that I'm, I'm surprised by is that your connection is so good when you're clearly not calling us from within America because <laughs> that is an un-American take. <laughs> Uh,
2: <laughs> there are okay. better, like thick, creamy dressings out. I I don't mind ranch, I but I feel like why have a ranch when you got a Caesar in the mix? If you got a blue cheese in the mix, Ran- wait, what My- oh, are you putting Caesar on? So ranch, almost everything. You, Whoa. <laughs>
1: okay, go on.
2: <laughs> but, but talk you about can, extra
0: like, anchovies, yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. But you
2: can like, I feel like ranch is also in the like the lower echelon of of the the creamy dips for me.
1: I've yeah. never dipped anything. What do you dip in Caesar? I can only. Anything I love Caesar salad. Rich. I just. So I mean, tell me something in your mind. What's the Jamie Loftus Caesar dipping combo? Oreo cookies.
2: Uh, <laughs> Oreo and Caesar. <laughs> two nights ago, carrots and Caesar. It works, baby oh, that's carrots two, and yeah. that's, Caesar. That's a that's a
1: lot. That's a vegetable. I ta- I thought I'm expecting you to be like, nah, man. What you do is you take a filet o fish. Put it next Caesar. <laughs>
2: well, here's one thing that I'll I, the you know those Tina's burritos. Yeah. Okay, that's my brunch a lot of days, and so I'll have a Tina's burrito and a little puddle of Caesar, and you just oh, s- wow. slap around the Tinas in the pile of Caesar. Not bad. <laughs>
1: slap around yeah. the Tinas in around. a pile of Caesar.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Authentic cuisine.
1: Authentic Nothing is more
0: disappointing to me than when uh, wings come with ranch instead of blue cheese. Blue oh cheese, yeah, that's so yeah. far as that's period, violence. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Because ranch does not actively cool the way the blue cheese does. Also, half the time, though,
1: I don't even, I'm just eating like lemon pepper wings and I don't even need sauce. I'm like, anyway. I, I, really, I really miss, I'm just, all this to say I'm realizing I'm doing the thing in the cartoons where someone just walked by my window and I envisioned a silver platter of wings, all flats. <laughs> <laughs> that was their
0: head. And your yeah. eyes yeah. pop out of like your head. It's like someone
1: walking their dog. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me pop. Yeah. Pap- yeah. yeah. <laughs> my yeah. tongue rolls out.
0: Yeah, Kate, good point. We were wondering why his tongue rolled out of his mouth <laughs> and across his keyboard. Uh, I haven't had an appetite for wings since the Super Bowl. Producer Hans saw him at Whole Foods. He was buying wings. I was like, "Hey, you know what? That wings can't be that hard to make. I'll I'll get some wings." And I made such bad wings that I've like lost my appetite for Uh, wings. What'd you do? You grilled them? No, I uh, I baked them in, and like I think I did something weird with uh, like putting them on a rack as opposed to or like the wrong kind of rack because they were just like hard and not in oh, like no. a crispy way dude, grill, them, uh, really grill, grill them
1: on grill them dude, on high get the nice color on both sides then move them to one side of your grill and then turn the heat off on that side and then just cook them on in indirect heat and they're really hard to overcook like that just a simple yeah. on the grill you know what i mean but it sounds yeah, like I if my know mom how did were, it. if my mother were to review your wings as she did the film cats her review would be <laughs> yeah something just didn't go right
2: yeah,
0: something, <laughs> something went
1: wrong
2: very diplomatic.
0: Yes. Yeah, uh, that's that would be my answer. I was the only one who ate them. Fortunately, I I was so disgusted <laughs> with <crutching> myself. <laughs> I just, yeah, I ate them, bone and all, uh, just <laughs> off in the corner. Well, talking myself down. Oh, that's uh, why your lips were so cut up that next Monday, <laughs> <laughs> idiot. God. Uh, Kate, finally, what is uh, what's your myth? What's something people think is true you know to be false?
3: Um, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the fact that there is this idea since we have gotten rid of physical media and video stores that every movie you could possibly want to see is available on streaming or for rental via streaming. And that's just not true. Uh, like last week I was like, oh, I want to have a chill Tuesday night and watch the piano. Um, you can Mm. Rent the Piano on iTunes, and that is literally it, a movie that has two Oscars and was a huge hit in the 90s. So I ordered some 10-year-old, like, janky bootleg, uh, uh, or not bootleg, Blu-ray of it uh, that's, like, you know, one of those bad first-edition Blu-rays, because that's the best way to see the movie now. Uh, right. But it's, you know, I hope people realize as they're home and they're watching things on streaming that, like, Yes, there's a lot of content out there, but there's also a ton of content that's just not available. And at this point is frankly in danger of becoming obsolete forever. I mean, the fact that we've sort of scaled back on physical media production when there are still movies that never got transferred from VHS um, or Laserdisc is insane to me Uh, and I think you know it's one of those problems that seems uh, sort of far away from you until you try to look for a movie that you want to watch and you find that some you know 90s indie movie or 80s teen movie that seems like it should be super available is not available and then you're like what the fuck and you realize you should have bought the DVD or if if there was a blockbuster or other video stores, you could just go rent the damn thing. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting. I think uh, streaming has created this sort of false, false idea in people's heads that we should have given up our physical media libraries and things like video stores. When, in fact, uh, we've given up a lot of content and a lot of movies are now out of print forever because we just sort of rushed to streaming. Mm.
1: Mm. Um, for people who don't know, Kate, uh, you co-host the Blacklist podcast with Franklin Leonard, who was on our show recently. So, you know, a thing or two about this film thing. Uh, do you think there's a reason why the piano specifically? And I have a very immature theory, but do you, do you have an idea why you think the piano is Harvey Keitel's there? dick, Miles? You know, is it Harvey Keitel's dick.
3: It's not the okay, most immature you're talking about. Jack, if you Oops. say Excuse Harvey, Harvey Keitel's dick
2: one more time, it'll appear in the room. With I was going to say, see you really see <laughs> <really> <laughs> Harvey Keitel's
1: huge, high.
0: I've, <laughs> I've never seen the piano. I've well, never seen the piano. I thought his dick was in that. <laughs> no, it is.
1: Famously. I think most people's first thing they remember is like, I think Anna Paquin may have won an Academy Award for that, but I know for sure Harvey Keitel's <laughs> dick is in that, along with Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> okay. But. There's like and it was nominated, but did not win.:
0: I think, Every look, tells Dick.
1: uh Jeffrey Rush in Quills shows his dills in quills. That film is y- behind you have to pay 399 to see that. to see shame, Jeffrey,
2: Wait, Jeffrey Rush's penis is in a movie? Yes. yes in quills.
1: You want to see the Jeffrey Rush dills? Again, the rhyme is there, theres quills. Think uh, and then shame, and the Fossbender one, also you got to pay, so I wonder if you have to pay to see Peen.
3: Yeah, it's I um I did a deep dive about sex scenes in movies last fall, and something mm-hmm. that I found is that nudity has really decreased in movies, which is great for female actors who have sort of been ide- objectified. And you know, we all sort of remember the like, oh, and here is the titty shot in every eighties movie. Action. In the first yeah. yeah, it's like Van yeah. Damme. Yeah. There's gonna be breasts.
2: There's a titty shot in. Uh, I think that that my, I think I guess favorite egregious titty shot is in. The beginning of Die Hard. There's just like I was just just going to say a titty for you're just like what was that? Sure, yeah. Wait,
0: are, are you, which one are you talking about? Because there's two within like a couple minutes. There's, <laughs> what? What? there's the terrorists show up and a woman runs out of an office without that, her with her blouse open. That's the one open. I'm
2: talking about, yeah.
0: Okay, and then immediately after, Bruce Willis is walking around like avoiding the terrorists. <laughs> and I think he either looks out the window and sees a woman like changing across mm. the s- street or something, or he sees... <laughs> Or he sees a clipping from like a porno magazine and is like, "Ladies" or something like that. The, like the galaxy
2: to... brain nudity of '80s yeah. movies is just like wild, right? Yeah,
0: it's just like, just so you know, this guy loves naked women, but you know, he's just because they they hadn't established that, I guess, because <laughs> really? he'd only been like fighting with his wife
1: hold like, on but Jack, it's the, like the it's topic, totally straight the topic here is guys dicks in movies and kate was saying <laughs> she was sorry, figuring out kate. there's less nudity <laughs> there,
0: kate no, i'm I so mean, sorry <laughs> for taking things away from uh your topic which was dicks in movies yeah
3: um, you know guys i have a letterbox <laughs> list of, of prominent dicks in cinema that's how i'm trying to help the people <laughs> Hell yeah. i'm um, so sorry i i'm sorry
0: this is our (laughs) podcast kate
3: (laughs) okay here's a funny digression on that a couple years ago i had a friend who was working on i will not name the franchise but if you think about it i think you will figure it out one of her friends was working on the only sex movie franchise of the last decade and there was an argument about putting some male nudity in that movie uh so my friend texts me and she's like Hi. can you put together of like great dick shots, a list together of great dick shots and movies so we can like show mm. this to the team and maybe get Whoa. some peen in this movie because um, like I don't know when I was like a teenager and stuff I had like a running tally of like ooh you see peen in this movie um, but I do think that that could be one major reason for why certain things are not making the jump the other big one is music rights, uh, one of the few ways that you can get a lot of money out of licensing songs anymore is when they're in movies or tv so a lot of times you will have replacement music or something that's stuck in limbo because of the music so with the piano it could be that they don't want to pay to relicense the michael nyman score oh, um, okay but it's why when you see like daria pop up or the wonder years pop up and all the music is replaced that's why is because yeah. it I'm becomes
1: like, where's my joe cocker
3: you want yeah right it totally like it it, the experience is different you're like this is not the song that played that's like yeah
1: my partner she's she's a big dawson's creek head and i saw her watching that i said what the
3: fuck is this
1: and she said dawson's creek i'm like no this is not dawson's creek because i'm not hearing them yeah i'm like this is some off-brand shit this is dawson's whatever the fuck
2: i wonder what a dawson's creek rewatch would be like now like does a single second of it hold up (sighs) Uh, Oh
1: man, let me tell you, as a person of color, there was a moment where uh fucking what's her face? Joey. Joey's sister is like dating a black guy and they like refer to it as like her black boyfriend. It's like so like hammer fisted and I'm like, God. uh,
3: No, no. It was the nineties,
1: y'all. What are you gonna expect?
2: (laughs) Oh boy. Better than that? There, we'll come yeah, well, I mean, I'm
1: I'm just looking back at the entire course of history, and I'm like, what are you gonna
2: expect? <laughs> I was thinking the other day about how like a major part of that show that was supposed to be cute was that like Joey and Dawson would often sleep in the same bed, and that was supposed to be like, ah, that's and then you're just, but then like re- in reality, James Vanderbeek's characters just has a boner all night. Like you're just like, that's uh-huh. not romantic. That's weird. I don't and know. There, yeah, yeah.
3: You're like, yeah, all I, like I guess maybe sleepover. It's... Yeah,
2: cool. Yeah. You're like I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna sleep with my back to you though. Okay. No spooning. <laughs> it's fine.
2: It's fine.
1: It's fine. As I was looking up the movie Shame, the cinematographer, his name is Sean Bobbitt. Okay. yeah oh, it is.
0: <laughs> Okay. Uh, all right. We're gonna take a quick break to look up more peen shots, and we'll be back to report on that. And we're back. And hey, what's happening in the news? We're still uh, quarantined, right? Yep, yep. Am I right, guys? What's up? Yep. Yeah. So I guess this Looks quarantine like thing's still going on.
1: Unless um, we're in the matrix and this is what it, the pods look like when we're plugged into human batteries. Oof. Like, every we experience life through a Zoom call.
3: Mm-hmm. One of my yeah. friends had a great line. She was like, can somebody just like knock my plug out in the Matrix? Can you just like, can <laughs> right. somebody be like mopping and just knock me it. out?
0: Yeah. And just flop down. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: not like this. Not like this. It's so hard to know where we're at anymore with anything. We're safe. We're not safe. We see things from the CDC defining what's safe. Only hear the White House be like, no, 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 don't show people that because then they'll know what safe is and they'll realize it's not. Nothing is safe at the moment. Um mm-hmm. but you know right now like there's the glimmer of hope in that Governor Cuomo was saying that you know what like May 15th looks realistic as a timeline to be be able to begin reopening New York um you know 26,000 people in counting have passed away in New York uh from coronavirus um and but now like I think over the weekend like it was like 161 in one night so overall Cuomo says like the state is over the mountain in terms of hospitalizations, intubations, ICU admissions and all that. It's all gone down. Um, So that's been, I think for a lot of people, it's weird. I think a lot of people have been experiencing this outbreak through the lens of New York without looking at what is actually happening where they go, because so much of the immediate attention is on New York. I think a lot of people are just mapping that onto them. They go, well, New York's bad, but here isn't bad. So I guess that's where we're at and I'm still okay. So things are fine. Um, but when you look at the at the states that are about to reopen, Cuomo is, I think, the no. Cuomo is the only governor who can point to a decline in these cases and hospitalizations, like mm-hmm. while talking about reopening. In like that was one North of Car- the
0: that was one of the uh, things that you needed, right? Was for it to have been declining for two weeks in a row, and like New York. Yeah, is yeah, that, that was like that the CDC's that. guidelines, right? Yeah, yeah. which we and don't pay attention. to. We look to at all these the
1: other states. we look at all these other states and they're beginning to really like act like it's all good like okay new york's reopening that means everywhere else is okay it's just hard because yeah when they anyone looking at the numbers would see that cases are going up and when i talk about sort of like everyone experiencing the outbreak through the lens of new york you have to look at sort of like right now we're starting to now see the these outbreaks hit rural counties and smaller areas of the country that were just weeks behind the rest of these like massively populated urban centers. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're saying a lot of the analysis says a lot of the counties that voted for Trump in 2016 are likely to begin seeing influxes of cases in the the last week and this week. So that experience seems to be catching up other places only now, Um, yet we're still kind of like, you know, spiking the football as if everything's all good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, st- I mean, it was a
2: strange weekend this weekend because it's uh, you. You feel like the vibe, like whether you're strictly talking to people online or if you're like starting to see people around your neighborhood, the vibe is kind of, or at least where I, I live, it, it's been kind of changing, and it makes me triple anxious because yeah. it's like we all sort of know we're not out of it, but people are just so anxious to get out that it's it's like a self fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, the overall number, like, New York was such a huge part of the national, like, you know, it was such an epicenter. And, like, I think at one point it was, like, 50% of cases were happening there. And so as its numbers have started to fall, like, overall numbers have started to fall. Um, but there was this post uh, on the Medium site, Aaron Bromage, or mm-hmm. uh, AaronBromage.com, uh, he's a professor at UMass Dartmouth, uh, and he oh, yeah. like his area of focus is very specific. Uh, like it's he's not like uh, an expert, or he's not a doctor, but he does like specifically focus on epidemiological research, and was like from the start of the semester tracking COVID nineteen as like a project for his class. So he's been posting on Facebook because uh, apparently he's older and uh, then started doing this blog where he was like posting just sort of his insights into the numbers. And one of the big things in this post that went viral over the past couple of weeks was just that. Uh, even though the numbers are trending downwards nationally, like if you pull New York out of that, our numbers are still going up as a country. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really like this whole thing is completely locally oriented, and that's yeah. just, I think, both from a just like everyday perspective because we're used to watching like national media and sharing like watching. Uh, The same Netflix shows that people on the East Coast are watching and, you know, having shared experiences and being able to contact someone in New York so quickly uh, or like across the country so quickly, our minds are in a global or at the very least national like mode. But this is specifically something that is uh, explicitly taking place in physical space and like your reality on in one town slash even like one like area of town is going to be completely different uh, than people like across the country. And so it's yeah. just, yeah. it's almost like a perfect trap to get us to let our guard down. Um, and then there's also the fact that the federal government is working with this short-term, uh, you know, we got to get the economy back up and running so Trump can get reelected.
3: I think for me, like maybe the hardest thing about all of this is the fact that I've realized that like many Americans either can't read a chart or refuse to read a chart. Like just can't look at a, a growth chart and, you know, understand a concept like exponential growth of spreading and, you know, want to believe things like Fox News, want to believe things like pandemic. Um, as opposed to just, you know, like an SAT question. Look at the curve. Look where the curve is going. Like, yeah. I, it's just sort of horrifying. My parents live in Ohio. That's where I grew up. And I've been very fortunate that even as a Republican governor, Mike DeWine has done a really good job as opposed to some other states in that region. But, yeah, I think the locality is going to become one of the biggest takeaways from all of this. Like, even just having thoughts of, like, well, if I have to drive home for Christmas to hang out with my parents, parents instead of flying i'm happy to do that but i do think you'll start to see people you know fewer international vacations more road trips across the usa stuff like that yeah yeah it's, I, sorry go ahead, oh,
1: go ahead. no go ahead, go ahead go ahead uh
3: i i've been trying
2: to be better about because jack you're totally right of just like it it is so easy to talk to anyone in any location and I've been trying to, anytime I'm talking to like, whether it's like my family or friends that live in different states and cities, just like listen to where they're at first before I start, because it's so easy to assume we're all on the same, uh, you know, we're all in the same situation. We're all on the same wavelength, but it's like, yeah, street to street, it can be an entirely mm-hmm. different story depending on what your circumstances are. And like, I mean, the, things in my area are are slowly improving but in my hometown it's like there's an eight o'clock curfew because things are spreading so quickly and so yeah right. it's, when you're having those conversations it's you know ask the ask the other person where they're at first um right. yeah. yeah
1: yeah well the thing too is just like even with how you know these cities experience at first and the media ends up focusing on these places again and we start we tend to live these experiences through unfortunately these like media narratives that we're you know consuming that for especially a lot of these Trump voters who are people who are like, man, like we just got to open up. What's the deal? Because of where they live their the effects were just completely abstract to them. It was like, they're like, dude, I don't know a single fucking person with this. What are you talking about? If I do, I heard it's like upstate and I, people don't come through here, whatever. And now that it's that because Trump was like being so casual about it and we're starting to see these little clusters in these small, smaller rural communities and things like that. The experts are just really wanting to, again, reemphasize to these people, just because New York is declining, that is a completely different place than where you live. And also, the threat of your hospitals and medical systems and infrastructure being overwhelmed by an outbreak are much higher because of where you are in relation to a larger metropolitan area, and the resources available are completely different. So it's, again, it's this weird thing where people just have to, like, They're just only concerned with their own comfort, because I think statistically the data would be overwhelming, maybe emotionally to say like, oh, my God, I'm at I'm at you know, I'm operating at the will of this virus, whatever happens to it. That's what's in control. And I think that's really what most people are rejecting is this idea that they aren't in control. And it's like the same thing, like back to talking about watching Fox News or something like when I watch, you know, my team or somewhere in sports Your team does terribly. I'll avoid the news because I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the news picking apart how terrible the performance was of my team. If anything, I want to go find articles that are from pundits saying, you know, even though that was a loss, here are the good things we actually saw on this, and why the other people, you know, it's like we do whatever we can to sort of preserve our, you know, perception of having control and things like that. And I think that's what's really interesting in all of this is like. It's all just about people unwilling to feel like something bad could happen to them and it's completely out of their control.
0: Well, we'll, I'll, we'll probably return to uh, that professor's kind of writing on the subject because uh, he also debunks like some of the things it not really debunks, but like has some interesting insights into like how the disease is actually transmitted and like uh, time spent with somebody is a big point. Of- yeah. Yeah, it time spent with somebody feel, indoors, like that's how they do contact tracing.
2: Yeah, it, it's very, it's a good article. It made me feel both better and worse. Yeah.
0: Yes. So i re- yes.
1: I read that article and I said, "We're never recording a podcast until there's a vaccine." Yeah, because yeah. the whole thing was saying like by speaking in close proximity in a not well ventilated area in a small room, like you're just putting more particles in the air, and you're in the same room for one hour and it's not properly ventilated. I mean, like. There, are, there are things that I'm like being like, oh my god! Like that's the environment of recording a podcast in a studio is just like germ fest 2020.
2: I will, uh, I will yeah. not die of a hot take. I'll tell you that right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Here um, lies Jamie Loftus. She died for the hot take.
3: <laughs> Cause of death: scorching hot take.
1: <laughs> Cause of death: touched face after recording podcast. <laughs> Uh, There's also
0: another piece of information that's going viral in the past week uh, when it comes to the pandemic is a video called Plan-demic. Uh, and you mm. know it's true. You know it's chock full of truth because it has a clever uh, name to it. And you can <laughs> tell. Okay. Sus. Plan mixed with pandemic. Boom. Uh, they can they got to this idea first. Done and done. No, it's made by a uh, fully... Disgraced scientist who's like been, <laughs> who got fired, sued for doing the bad science. Uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. Uh, one important detail about who she is is at one point, like after she had like falsified data, gotten fired, and then like had stolen data from the lab that had fired her. She was uh, living quote out on a boat to avoid being sued by the lab. Um, so that's the Thanks, level sir. of like understanding of how the world works that you're dealing with. Uh, she she thought uh, I'm on water, therefore home base can't be sued. Done and done.
1: Uh, oh, she I, like had like a maritime sovereign citizen <laughs> idea in her yes. mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, Got she it. was living on a boat to avoid being sued. Right. Um, and
1: she's like, I only answer to the laws of Poseidon. <laughs> That's right.
0: That's right. Um, All right. But she has started writing books after she kind of got kicked out of the scientific community. Uh, she wrote one with an anti vaccine advocate. Uh, Plague of Corruption is currently on the Amazon bestseller list. It was written even before uh, the coronavirus outbreak. But Claims are pretty easily debunked. She claims that the virus was genetically manipulated uh, when the scientific consensus is it wasn't, but the president is, you know, he's like, who knows? We can't know. We can't know for sure. I mean, we can know for sure
1: because science, but I don't want (laughs) to know for sure, so who knows? We won't know for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, She also says that you shouldn't wear a mask because then you're being exposed to your own... Vi- yeah there's that and then it's also you're activating your own virus what? which is hard to fact check because no one knows what the fuck she's talking about like that's that sounds it, cool it makes, though
1: yeah that sounds like the song of the sense. summer like yo activate your own virus activate your yeah. own virus <laughs> wait by wearing a mask like you're like just some weird viral feedback loop like that like yeah. tom's weird bachelor party in succession that's- yes yeah exactly <laughs> Uh. Um,
2: As someone who aspires to live on a boat And fall off the grid This is bad representation (laughs) This is bad representation
1: Wait, what what would, in your mind Jamie, why do you take off to live on a boat To avoid the laws of our land Our land loving people
2: It's not not even to avoid the laws Of the land lovers for me It's just, I've always wanted to live On a houseboat and then not have An internet connection and and never hear An opinion again (laughs)
1: Right. <laughs> except for that of my seagull friends except
2: yeah except for what my quirky seagull friends who bring me forks say of course
1: right but, right. but just one one misplaced caw from them can ruin my day
2: <laughs> and it really hurts it really hurts
1: i do
0: feel like that there's something in the zeitgeist with birds are coming coming for us that might uh be me just really? exposing that I am have just been alone the- for too long, but I just <laughs> keep hearing people like having battles with birds for some reason.
2: Is it because of the COVID bat? Is COVID bat like patient zero I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's like something psychological.
1: Creatures. Well, Sophia yeah. was talking about training crows. True. Sara training June has chickens, and then we found out what? that those roosters like can't be around hens yeah. or also like forcibly then, like, have sex with the hens. It's like all a lot, of, a lot of birds. <laughs> Weird bird talk, huh? Yeah, like birdemic, my, uh, baby. My <laughs> like <laughs> little
0: kind of genius uh, six-year-old nephew is like has in the past couple weeks become obsessed with birds and like identifying them and like uh, yeah. a good friend of mine is being yeah. uh, menaced by a, hu- a hum- no a mockingbird in uh, his friend's backyard. It's like very. Uh. Very weird. Uh, I think birds are like, all right, now, now we have them where we want them. Wow, now it's our time to strike. <laughs> the That'd birds be hilarious.
1: Too. Yeah. yeah, like where <laughs> us not being out, like clearly a lot of animals and wildlife have gotten their swagger back because people aren't yeah. like you know fucking in their neighborhood as much. That I wonder if like birds collectively are like, okay, it's us now. We run this shit. And like when we right. all come back out, like birds all have new attitudes. Like pigeons don't fly out of the street. Like they're like, yeah, fucking run me over. Um, right. I'm curious. We'll see. Is
0: I haven't read it. Is To Kill a Mockingbird a advice <laughs> manual, or is that does that tell you how to? Um, There's a guide no, I, in the back.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> There's a
0: guide. Here's how you trap one. <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, like we're saying, don't listen to this non-scientific take by this person. Listen to us, the guy who thinks that uh, birds are coming to take over the world. (laughs) Uh, You can trust me.
1: Yeah, you start going. Hold on, hold on. We gotta stop talking about this coronavirus thing, guys. I'm sorry. We gotta talk. I'm, you know, and I get it. <laughs> Climate change is on the horizon too. But these fucking birds, man,
0: really picked a good tangent to go off on while debunking this anti-science take.
2: But the birds, um, that's where the real yeah, that's where the real fight the real enemy. Yeah,
0: we'll fight Boy. them in the
2: skies. <laughs>
0: But anyways, millions of people have seen her uh, pandemic video. Uh, Facebook and Twitter and all the regular platforms immediately took it down because of the mask. Like the mask thing is basically like shouting fire in a crowded theater. It's like, obviously, you can't do that because you're going to get people very sick uh, by claiming not that you shouldn't be wearing a mask.
3: Have you guys... I mean, uh- and. But I've been thinking about it all like I have been thinking about like the 2005 to like 2008 internet and how differently the information we'd be getting about COVID nineteen would be disseminated. Like in those days when, like you know, we had instant messaging, we had news websites, but we did not have. It was right before social media hit, so you didn't have this sort of echo chamber or these like thousands of voices all chiming in. But I do think about like had this happened in like two thousand seven, how different things would be. I mean, obviously at the government level, but just in terms of like how that kind of info. Would would be shared online like does pandemic even exist in that environment
1: right
0: right yeah I mean if it was it'd be such a really fringe site
1: yeah like, or on the right. sides like it'd be like in the same circles where like you know like looking for your like truth or vids or whatever You're like oh let's, right pandemic. all right all right because yeah I've had some trippy people try and share some weird shit uh, that was not real at all and I was like oh no 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 but like <laughs> And from people whose res- intelligence I respect, uh, but again, I think goes back to what I was saying. I was like, I think it's just an exercise in people's ability to accept what's happening without having to assign some really absurd like origin story to it. To then just be like, yeah, science is a thing, you know, because of our interactions with animals, shit like this can happen. We live in a fucking global earth now, where move people move around, and yeah, it can lead to something like this. But I guess it's easier to think some mad scientist is in a lab like hell bent on like getting everybody to like watch fucking reruns of will and grace or something because that's the liberal agenda
2: it's more (laughs) cinematic there i i i try like with with the conspiracy like fringe theory stuff it's like if you it's so funny to picture someone just saying that like when they're (laughs) like out loud at they're like okay we're having like a barbecue and someone's like all right, so here's my thing with the fucking birds. And just imagine how quickly you could silence a table and you're like, "Okay, <laughs> right. so that's not something that's worth pursuing online." If you would silence a table full of your loved ones <laughs> simply by bringing it up, you know, think think twice maybe. I've done this. I've done this as well talking about beanie babies recently. <laughs> I've silenced a Zoom call being like, "Here's the thing about beanie babies." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Here's the thing: Someone just shared a video with me about the manufactured demand he created in the market. It was all <laughs> a
2: hoax. It was all a fix. He's a genius. There was drugs uh, in the beans.
3: Jamie, do you <laughs> like me? Have hundreds of beanie babies in your parents' basement somewhere? My <laughs> mom will
2: not disclose where the beanie babies are at. She still, she still <laughs> believes in the secondary market. I was at because I, I was like getting deep into beanie baby lore this past. As, as Jack and Miles know. And uh, I like texted my mom being like, where did all your beanie babies go? She's like, I still have them. I was like, yeah, but where are they? She's like, I still have them. <laughs> She's she like,
1: wouldn't you that. like to know? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. She- <laughs>
2: She, was, she still thinks she's going to send me to college 10 years ago on this shit. <laughs> that
3: Princess Diana beanie baby is going to be the only currency that, that goes in the wasteland. It's that's worth oh, you know. $5. Oh, it's so
2: depressing.
1: Uh, actually, when Jack and I were doing our live show, we were doing a retrospective on the year 2000. And mm-hmm. we were talking about beanie babies. And I had found an eBay listing at the time where someone was demanding a quarter of a million dollars for the for the Princess Diana beanie <laughs> baby in the year 2020
2: like they're worth $5
3: still they're worth the price they were when they came out
1: why does it have a special rose embroidered on the chest then
3: Mm. it's like the phantom menace action figures we all bought the phantom menace action figures being like you know what in 20 years griffey
1: jr rookie card this jake lloyd's the next marlon brando i'm telling you hey he still could be we don't know um yeah
0: all right, guys. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk pop culture and other bullshit. And we're back. And The Last Dance was back on uh, ESPN last night. I watched it this morning. Yeah. Um Episode seven and eight, what'd you guys think? Jamie, did you watch it this time?
2: I did watch it this time. I've watched it every time. All right.
0: Yeah, you watched it. Okay, my bad. Uh, did you watch it again this time? I should have said.
1: <laughs> did you continue yeah. the epic journey?
2: Yes, I continued the epic journey. Uh, this is like, we're getting into the zone now where I was I, I was like, actually learning things I, I didn't know uh, before. I didn't know too much about the details of the baseball season. I didn't know... like. Yeah, so I I was I I
1: hear you say that as if everything up until this point, you're like, I already know all of this. What is going (laughs) on? Next
2: but I knew like the general like I knew the general overview, but like the the ninety-four to ninety six, I wasn't as as clear on like the interlude years or or what those were like. I didn't know it was prompted by his father's passing. Like it was it was a really emotional couple of episodes. And then you see him cry at the end and you're like, Man, he's a real He's a real one when he's just it's so drama, but it's so beautiful. I was crying.
0: Yeah, it's the shot that where he has a drink next to him and seems like he's uh, a little drunk uh, is when he starts crying. And the thing he's crying about, he's like, I, this is who I am. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Uh, I'm just a real competitor. Break. It's like of all the things that would have made you cry this episode, just talking about how competitive you are was right. not the thing I have my money on. But He brought uh, himself
2: to tears with his own. Brought himself
0: to
1: tears. Be- yeah. Competitive. The question Wait, did he say is- break like he was in a huddle with himself?
0: No, like break, like stop shooting. The, that's oh, the end oh. of this show. I thought shot.
1: he was just like, you know, because I get him around and say, this is who I am. If you don't want to play that way, then don't play. Break because <laughs> I, I, i'm only reading the text i haven't seen it i'm i'm adding my own version of the show
0: yeah, i like that
2: yeah. that would be a fun addition
1: so I, the james
0: jordan thing i hadn't realized like turned into references to the gambling stuff like right away i thought mm-hmm. that was more of like a conspiracy theory that emerged over time but like the media immediately was like well, he has all these like gambling things happening and then all of a sudden his dad gets mysteriously killed the like, and now he's retiring. Like that's all too much to, so I think he, I don't know, like that, that, uh, conspiracy theory, which I have at various times been intrigued by and said was intriguing. I feel less like, I feel like it's just kind of stupid outsider speculation. Um, in particular, like one of the details that you learn in this is that one of the reporters who was with him during the summer of ninety two in Barcelona with the dream team, uh, Jordan was like, Yeah, I'm probably gonna retire after next season and go play baseball. And the guy was like, What? He's like, Yeah, don't tell anyone, but I'm gonna retire after next season and uh and go play baseball. And the guy was like, Yeah, okay. Well and then it happened sure thing, and man. people were like this must be a conspiracy theory. And the guy was like, no, that's that's what he was planning to do all along. And in fact, that was the last thing he was talking to his dad about before his dad passed away was like him retiring and going to play baseball. So he felt like he owed it to his dad. And so he started the season off with a 13-game hitting streak, which I didn't remember, uh, before they figured out he couldn't hit a curveball or a breaking ball. And then uh, he started hitting like shit but it is like they Wait, talk they're they just how, throwing him
1: fastballs constantly
0: yeah yeah i huh. think they yeah. just didn't know i think they generally like mix it up more with like they would any other hitter and then, right 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 but when they like, realize it's most, like
1: as if you were a basketball player who has no left hand and can't dribble left they're like no nah, right. he got no left bro he <laughs> yeah he it, can't hit the off-speed pitches <laughs>
0: Because he's, like, by the time you get to double A baseball, which is, like, the second highest of the minor leagues, like, the second hardest of the minor leagues, like, you're facing basically people who don't have, like, giant gaping holes in their swing. But, like, this is probably the first person that they have played against who, like, hasn't played baseball since high school. So, like, (laughs) he's he still has, like, high school guy issues with his game. Uh, But Terry Francona was his manager, which is wild, like. Terry Francona, who would eventually win the World Series with the Red Sox, and he was like, he's the hardest working guy I've ever seen, and like, he would have been a good baseball player if he had stuck with it, which is pretty. uh, Oh, like in high school, like if if he had no, no, like if he had kept, oh, even then, stuck at baseball, he would have made it to the majors, um, and been like,
1: you're saying even in him in his. Like, leaving basketball, that yes. if he had actually knuckled down, Francona believed yeah. that he could have, oh, shit.
2: Especially when I was watching the baseball portion, and I'm not I'm not an expert in this, but like, as people were like, actually, he was pretty good at baseball. He probably could have gotten, he could have been, right. I'm just like, oh, you really cannot make an honest documentary about someone until they're dead. Like, you can't, <laughs> like, I feel like if right. Michael Jordan, if there was no chance that Michael Jordan would ever find out, uh, that people were like, he was a fine baseball player, like, but no one would say that while well, he's still alive. When you're doing it for yeah, the big could Michael be Jordan too. documentary,
1: yeah, Terry for Francona sure. goes, "Oh my, you should have seen this dude. He was we called him the dead <laughs> body because he was stinking it up jerk. out there." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and
0: that is sort of the hot take of the series that like he wasn't that bad at baseball because the way it went down in history was that like he was a joke and uh, should never have been playing. One thing that I hadn't uh, really thought of was that he like he wasn't starting at the lowest level. He was actually they like put him in a league where he like by all rights should not have been playing double A baseball. Um, and the owner of the Bulls is the also the owner of the White Sox. And he's like, yeah, we only stuck him in the big leagues because we couldn't accommodate him at the other facilities. And it's like such a bullshit excuse. They were clearly like trying to set him up for failure so that he He'll come would back. come back would to basketball, to I think. Did he just um, play for the it.
1: Barons, the Birmingham Barons? Was that the only team he played for? Yeah, I think so. And that was, and that was like the White Sox minor league. Yeah, because I remember I had that. <laughs> I had three uh, Michael Jordan baseball cards because I was a huge baseball <laughs> card collector. These are going to be, and be I was worth like,
0: so much. Oh.
1: I was like, get ready, dad college is on me <laughs> <laughs>
0: um yeah so that i thought that was really like it, it is just such a strange thing that happened that like the best basketball player of all time retired at the height of his powers went and played baseball like the uh, like it, it was just a very very cool episode to see that yeah. and then he comes back and this is also the episode or the pair of episodes where you get him like being mean to his teammates like that kind of is a focus of the two episodes they show him like shit talking this guy scott burrell who's like <laughs> just like a guy who like most people forget was even on the team yeah. and he keeps calling him he's like make this free throw ho. i was like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's, uh, he calls him a hoe multiple times it's like <laughs> just such a weird thing to hear coming out of michael jordan's mouth Damn. I love so him. he, he's treating him like a pimp, then, huh? My fa- like
2: that, yeah. As not a huge sports fan, my favorite part of these two episodes was seeing the behind the scenes of Space Jam. There, mm. this is the behind the scenes of Space Jam episode. You get to see that one incredible shot of just. All green screen and people playing the Monstars in green yeah, screen. Yeah, playing happens.
0: defense on him.
2: And then Michael Jordan's just in the middle, like, moving his arms. And you're like, yeah. wow, <laughs> movie magic. Look at it. Look at it. I, but yeah. It was inspiring seeing how, like, because partially due to Space Jam, he got that, like, whole court on the Warner Brothers lot and all this great stuff happened. And, like, Space Jam helped elevate him back to greatness. I loved it. That
0: was a really cool detail of the story that I hadn't known. I like I read the book version of this before like 2 weeks ago just cuz I was so excited about this and like that whole Space Jam thing was not in there. Like that that they have footage miles of like oh, wow. he was like I'll do Space Jam if you build a facility where I can practice like around the clock when I'm not shooting. And they like build him this amazing uh like field house essentially on the Warner Brothers lot. And then all the best players in the league started coming out and like practicing with him. And this was after his first like half season back when he kind of sucked, uh, like for him. Right. Uh and like had fucked up. And so he like used it to like scout all the best players in the league and like <laughs> check out everyone's game like as... Oh like
1: lure them into his like
0: Yeah, player. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's so, it's, yeah, it's great.
3: I do even feel like when I was a kid, I feel like it was that sort of comeback moment that it was like Space Jam was a huge deal and was really pushed to kids as being this, like, massive thing that was gonna bring Jordan back to the mainstream. Like I remember the McDonald's toys for it was the usual. Mm -hmm. They were the like big I remember had the Lola bunny and I pierced her ears, but they were like, this is a big (laughs) fucking deal. Like you're seven, (laughs) Jordan is coming back to basketball. You're getting a fancy McDonald's toy. Yeah, you know it's serious. That was the only reason Uh, I knew like the Jordan the Michael Jordan myth
2: as a kid is they it's the first couple scenes of Space Jam where they're like and he would go outside every night and he He wouldn't stop shooting baskets, but like they give you like the whole legend primer in Space Jam. It's great, and
1: he wore his old college shorts as underwear forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The also the other amazing thing they have is they take you through the practice where he punches Steve Kerr in the face, and Steve Kerr like punches him in the chest, which I thought would be something that they avoided, but that like next to that part because. They go from that because that's like leading into the seventy-two win season when he was like extra motivated and just super pissed. And Steve Kerr's like he came into camp frothing at the mouth that year, just like really fired up. And so they like get into a fist fight, they make up, and then they go into the beginning of the 72 win season and they're playing that rapture remix, uh, the KRS one like bad boy rapture remix. That's oh, yeah. so dope. It's like <laughs> Such a great! I don't know the end of episode seven when he's like talking about how driven he is and like crying, and then that part of episode eight are like the high points of the documentary for me. Uh, and I already loved it, but these these episodes were great. Yeah, Jamie, you have any anything you want to add?
2: No, I I just I like it. I was I I'm, I'm really it's next weekend is the last weekend of Jordan episodes,
0: the last last dance. Yeah. You know, oh. I got a so this feeling, is the penultimate you guys. Dance, huh?
2: He gonna win the. He's gonna win the game. He's gonna win the game. <laughs> I have a <laughs> I feeling, guys.
1: He did it.
2: I know it. He's gonna. <laughs> he's gonna, gonna
1: confess. He's gonna forget that his mic's on when he goes to the bathroom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers. But I think he's he's gonna win uh, the game, and then at the end, he's gonna confess to the murder.
0: Of course, you <laughs> punched Steve Kerr in the face. Of course, I punched uh, him like a little hoe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's just muttering so. "hole" under his breath in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. there.
0: One thing we talked about on last week's episode was uh Craig Hodges was saying that he thought Jordan like specifically cut him out of the uh of this documentary series and I was like, "Well, who cares?" He was like kind of a he didn't play that much. He wasn't a starter and uh apparently he, so Craig Hodges first of all, like his game was way ahead of his time. He was a like the best three point shooter. It was just like a decade before three point shooting was recognized as like the key to winning a bunch of games. Um, But he was also like the reason the story behind he and Jordan's relationship is really interesting because he was like politically active. And during the, when the bulls first went to the finals, uh, it was against the Lakers and right after the LAPD beating of Rodney King and he tried to get Jordan and Magic Johnson to boycott game one of the finals uh, to like send a message Uh, and Jordan was like you're crazy and Magic Johnson was like that's too extreme Craig and then Craig Hodges like after uh, the next year when the Riots happened because the police got off. Um, like Craig Hodges basically was like critical of Michael Jordan for not ever taking a stand, and he was basically run out of league. Uh, his agent dropped him. He and like they, this article talks about how this article is from like three years ago. Uh, and the article talks about how this reporter would like ask. NBA players in like 2003, uh, like five years after this whole thing happened, like what, uh, like why they, why the NBA players don't take a political stand. And they're like, well, you don't want to end up like Craig Hodges, who like get, yeah. got run out of the league for taking a political
1: stand. It's so, wild too, because he, I mean, he went to meet George H.W. Bush in a Daishiki. At the yeah. White House. And that he had ass. written an eight-page letter talking about the plight of African-Americans in this country and was like, apparently there's an, also an anecdote that W was there because, you know, he likes basketball too and wanted to meet the teams. And because Hodges was wearing a dashiki, he thought he was not American and very slowly was like, hello, and where are you from, sir? And Craig Hodges <laughs> just says, I'm from Chicago Heights. Like, just <laughs> straight back at him. <laughs> and... What happened was like later on, you know, people found out about that letter and he was asked if he thought the president read it and he's like, I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Um, And then he was also like, did another interview where he was like, Jack was saying, he was talking about seeing these like, like Mike commercials and like realizing that this missed opportunity. And he was asked about like the lack of black owners in the NBA and was just very clearly just articulated the problem with the lack of black ownership, racism in the NBA and all this other stuff of of people failing to address judicial injustice. So that story ran. Then 25 days after Chicago won the next championship, Hodges was told he would not be offered a deal, and he was only 32, just days after. And it's just like, yeah, it shows you how effectively activists can be erased out of a narrative uh, when it just doesn't quite fit with whatever you're trying to say. Because I'm not... I don't look at this and say, oh my God, Michael Jordan is evil because he did this or whatever. It would have been a very powerful moment in this documentary, I think, to actually confront this, this back and forth between him and Craig Hodges mm-hmm. and to talk about the fear he may have had what he thought he had to lose by speaking up, what the experiences of him as a um, person of color suddenly having a lot of influence, what you're able to do, what you're scared to do with that voice, looking at the example of other people who have taken stands. Like I think that's a very, very interesting topic to deconstruct because I think that would be very powerful for any person to hear about Magic or Michael being presented with a moment to really do something because I'm sure they probably have regrets on some level. But you don't right. want to talk about it because it's messy or whatever. But my god, like after seeing, you know, reading this, and uh, thank you to the listeners who were pointing this out, just our own blind spots on this. It really, yeah. it, it's like shocking. Wrong. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's funny um, when I when I watched the OJ doc, the one episode that I thought they should have included that they did not include was the episode about how sports sort of turns a blind eye to domestic abusers generally. And like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be cool if the Jordan doc had an episode? I have not watched it yet. I'm excited to watch it, where they sort of dug in on like, here are the ways in which the league fucked with everybody in the '90s. And I've been hearing like snippets that that's kind of the three line with the Scottie Pippen stuff and things like that. But you do sort of wish these docs would sort of take one step back from the, you know, the personal narrative and be like, OK, here are the the structures that have failed these people as well. And just I don't know. I feel like it would give it additional resonance beyond the sort of person to person stories that you uh, hear. That's, I think that that's the, like
1: the, the that, ransom, though, for a producer of a doc series like this, because the league is going to hold all that footage at gunpoint. Yeah. And they're going to mm-hmm. say, you want game footage? You better shut the fuck up about any short the fucking time about shortcomings of the league. I will fucking. You can. This can be all spoken word.
2: It wouldn't be airing on ESPN if they had that kind of access. If I, I feel like every once in a while it does happen, but it's like it just needs to be a documentarian that has like a really good source to stuff who is willing to who wants to fuck with the league. But it's yeah. There's there are like moments in 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 any documentaries about like huge organizations where you're just like. Oh, I bet that the director would have wanted to get more critical there, but then Miles, like you were saying, like that would mean that they couldn't use the footage they need to make the fucking thing in the first place,
1: right? <sighs> but I think yeah. it's for what it is. I think as a snapshot, very superficially, and like, or and even beneath the surface of like this entire saga, I think is really interesting. But yeah, I think I mean I feel like perhaps there's an entire other documentary where you it's very narrowly about. The responsibilities athletes have felt to speak out, especially when they are, you know, like they're seen as leaders and like outsized figures to vulnerable communities.
0: Mm. Uh, Some very superficial uh, last notes on the documentary. I just found out that it's still being made. And I think Michael Jordan found out uh, or saw some of it and saw that his eyes look like shit because now there are shots where his eyes don't look like shit uh, for the first time. So big development and also at one point he like his fashion is a real testament offensive. to like oh. what yeah to what somebody who is just like has 100% confidence in everything they do like and just goes with all their instincts like at one point he's wearing like a a Mardi Gras bead necklace that's just like black Mardi Gras beads, and he's just like rocking
1: it with a T-shirt. <laughs> so basically, like one hundred percent. He dresses like a four-year-old who dresses themselves. It right, is funny. Yeah. It's,
2: it's very clear to me watching this doc that the the producers or whoever was making the movie did not give any guidelines as to like recommended right. wear because there are some people in. Is it like I think like Scotty Pippen's wearing a suit the whole time, but but then like jordan's wearing whatever the fuck he shows up in other it's like just if just if you're doing it just show up business casual you can't <laughs> go wrong but everyone like some people overshoot it other people it's it's funny to watch
1: i wonder if they had produced ever to be like okay mike could you wear like a shirt that isn't mesh this time it's just it, <laughs> it marais on camera a bit <laughs> he's like wearing like a fucking rain slicker with a mesh marina and like fucking tibas and are like what is this outfit sir yeah <laughs> Kate, it's been a pleasure having you on The Daily Zeitgeist.
0: Where can people uh, find you and follow you?
3: Yeah, uh, Twitter and Instagram, both the same at. It's at that Hagen girl, but uh, girl is spelled like riot girl, so two R's instead of an I. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty active on Medium and Spotify as well.
0: And is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying?
3: Yeah, I realized I picked a hard one to articulate because it uh, needs not it, in order to understand it, you need uh, knowledge of a prior meme. But that prior meme is uh, the picture that many of us have seen of the white woman at the chalkboard with the insane baby names. Uh, somebody photoshopped that this week to be Grimes's tweet about uh, her <laughs> baby name with Elon Musk. Uh, and that brought me a lot of joy. Mm <laughs> hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, Jamie, where can people find you and what's a tweet you've been enjoying?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jamie Loftus Help, Instagram, Jamie Carr Superstar. Uh, I'm I'm gonna recommend a video because we were talked Space Jam, and every time Space Jam comes up, I go back and I rewatch Josh Fadom's classic video, Space Jam oh, 2. Oh yes. Uh, so just a <laughs> signal boost to Space Say <laughs> Space Jam 2, one of my all-time oh favorite my YouTube videos. Ever, I just even it's the, the open, fucking best. Warmer Brothers. <laughs> yeah,
1: Warmer. Br- a yeah. dim,
2: Warmer company. It's you just, have, yeah, it's the perfect video. So I'll, I'll recommend that.
1: Wasn't didn't that come out as like a funnier Die exclusive when it first came out?
2: Maybe, yeah. It came, it came I, I out like, like a couple years before the Space Jam Two I was just, actually a thing. It's like five years yeah, old. Yeah,
1: I just remember there was like an added layer of absurdity where it was like an FOD release. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> Uh,
2: it's so good,
0: Miles. Where can people find you? What's a tweet you've been enjoying?
1: Uh, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network. Miles of Gray, G R A Y. Also, my other podcast, Four Twenty Day Fiance, where we talk about Ninety Day Fiance. Uh, some tweets that I like. Um, a few. My goodness. First one's from Tawny Newsome at Trondi Newman, past guest and co-host of Yo, Is This Racist? Uh, her tweet is, love to cook, sick of dishes, need recipe using only paper towels and maybe a hairdryer. Go. <laughs> uh, I just, yep, that, that feels about right. Um. There's another one from uh, Hannah Goldfield at Hannah Goldfield. I'd like to apologize for a mean-spirited tweet I wrote about people's moms not being hot. It was a subtweet directed at someone I hate who I now realize signed on to be the executive producer of my TV show. We regret the error. (laughs) Um, And finally, this was a tweet that, my goodness, a Zeitgang member at Rainbow Treasure just tagged us in. And it is a uh, helicopter footage of a protest in Clearwater, Florida... Um, where people are protesting outside of a gym. And to do that, they're doing squats and push-ups in the street with signs outside. It's, I don't know. God bless y'all, yeah. you know, honestly, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm really praying Peretti for you
0: Chelsea Peretti retweeted that and was like, thus proving that you can work out anywhere and not just a
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very good point. Some tweets I've been enjoying. David Ehrlich tweeted someone tell Michael Jordan the coronavirus said it was better than him. Um mm-hmm. that's one thing that like is a, a subject of these episodes is like how he uses petty spites and like just absurd shit to motivate him in a way where it like becomes repetitive and you like get the sense of like how boring it must be to be inside his head. Cause like at one point, uh, George George Carl doesn't come over and say hi to him in a restaurant, and he uses oh, that as like motivation that. to destroy the Supersonics in the finals. He's like, <laughs> I mean, we went to UNC together. I've seen him out golfing. He's not going to say hi to me. The guy was probably like, There's I don't something- want to disturb the most famous person in the world right now. I'll just let <laughs> him be. There's narcissism like is a deeply. interesting thing
2: huh oh uh, it's, it's like deep like yeah he's just was motivated to greatness by sheer pettiness you're like yeah. okay oh that's fine
0: <laughs> yeah and you realize that it's if you watch though, his yeah. uh yeah his hall of fame acceptance speech he just like goes through all of his like petty grievances against yeah. everybody who's ever thought they were better than him for even <laughs> like a fleeting five second period of a game. He just, mm. it's its wild. Right, um, and he's like, now
1: if you'll follow me to the grave site of a former high school rival basketball player uh, <laughs> who I will literally dunk on their grave.
3: Uh,
0: also, I just checked Twitter and Teresa Lee, frequent uh, guest on Daily Zeitgeist, tweeted an hour ago, has anyone else noticed that birds in California are bolder than usual? I hear them all it night. Is, like they're been... having crazy oh, parties all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it has been, they have been louder. I will say they have been louder.
1: I'm they're, gonna, I'm actually gonna tweet it. You know who we need to tweet is uh, birds' rights activists because birds' rights yeah. activists True. has the, their pr- proverbial beak to the street. <laughs> That's right. Uh,. You can find me
0: on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, oh, where man. we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm getting choked oh. up like Michael McClellan a little episode seven. Getting,
1: I'm getting verklempt. They Here's drop. a topic. Duran Duran is neither a Duran nor a Duran. Talk amongst yourselves. Man, I miss coffee um, talk. What a sketch, huh? <laughs> what
0: a sketch. Uh, Miles, what are we going to ride out on today?
1: We are going to go out on a track, uh, old Jurassic 5 song that I love from the album Quality Control. But this is the thing. If you're a big J5 fan, this is there was always a track where a new Mark and Cut chemist would get their own sort of like instrumental like DJ breaks sort of uh, s- slapped together mosaic. Track and this is that track from the quality control album called Swing Set. And it's just got a bunch of great scr- scratching, it's got a bunch of great little break beats in there. It's like if you ever DJed, you probably listen to the song 300 times and you could probably go, Oh, 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 oh yeah, because you know all the scratches by heart. So enjoy this, mm-hmm. it's upbeat, start your week right, keep it going. We love y'all. All right, the Daily Zite, guys, is a production of
0: iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for today. We will be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.
1: Swing.